What a morning, right? Like, this is the way church is supposed to be. Like, you're celebrating. We got baptisms. Nancy's getting baptized. Faith is getting baptized. It's been, it's been a good morning. So I remember uh, I was overseas when I started getting these headaches. And I was thinking, like, how do I explain to you these headaches? Because, like, they were real. Like, not a fake headache. This was a real headache. And so I think my best description would be, you have to imagine, a man. Not a big man, but, like, a wee little man, like a wee little man on the other side of your eyeball, kicking the fool out of the other side of your eyeball. Like that was the headache that I was having. And so again, I was overseas. I went down to the Portuguese eye doctor because I was like, I don't know what to do, but I got to get rid of this headache. And so I go in and I start to talk to her and I'm like, do you speak English? And she's like, a little, you know, and it's like, oh, this is going to be rough, you know? So I explained to her the little man on the other side of my eyeball, and she did not get it. Like, that did not translate well. And so I had to be like, I, I think I said I have a doi-doi in the cabeza. I have a, I have a boo-boo on my head, I think is what I said. And she's just looking at me like, I do not understand you. You're so weird. And so we kept talking. And then finally she's like, oh, you need an eye exam. And I'd never had an eye exam. But I'm like, yeah, I guess so. If you've never had an eye exam, they start out by telling you to look in this little hole, like it's just a hole, and, you, and then it goes poof, and it shoots air at your eyeball. Like, I don't know. So now I'm traumatized. Every time I go to the eye doctor, I hate that machine. And they're like, Billy, get your eye. Quit being a baby. Get your eye up there. And anyway, I hate that thing. So then you go into this room, and she talks to you for a second, and they put this monstrosity of a machine in front of you. If you have glasses, like you, raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about. All right, so half of you have no idea. So they put this big machine in front of your face, and they block one eye, and then they start to put lenses, and it goes like, hum, hum, like that. And she goes, um, a doish, um, a doish. Like one or two, one or two. Which one's a better image? And so you work through it, and you're like, well, one's a better image, you know, or two's a better, whichever. Sometimes, though, it looks the same, right? Those of you who have had the eye test, you know, and you're like, Mejmoquiza, like same thing. Like, I, I don't know, like one and two. It looks basically the same. I think you're just messing with me to see if I'm really having headaches or not. Like, so anyway, at the end of the test, they moved the big machine out of the way and she scoots her chair up. And she goes, okay, Billy. And then she speaks the fastest Portuguese I've ever heard in my life. And so I start leaning forward and I do this with my face. You know, you scrunch it up. Because everyone knows if you scrunch up your face, it opens your ears up and you can hear better, you know. So I'm like trying to focus in. And, and so she finished talking and I go, let me get this right. I said, what you're telling me is I don't need glasses. I shouldn't drive when it's dark and turn the lamp on when I read or watch TV. And she's like. <laughs> and she's like, no, that's not what I said at all. You know, and so she calmly explains I need I need glasses because I need to focus, and my focus is all off. And Amy was really excited because she's like, now you'll have glasses, and they'll break up the space on your face, you know, because there was no beard. It was just a whole lot of face that I had, so she was excited <laughs> about that. Anyway, again, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Woodside Romeo. I'm Billy Creech, and I'm your interim campus pastor, and we are in a series in the Gospel of Mark, and it's really a series that we're going to be on from now all the way through Easter. We're going to slow down and camp out because I think what happens is we get our thoughts about Jesus, right? We get our thoughts of who Jesus is and the work that he's doing, and I don't know that it always lines up with what the Bible says, and so that's really what we're doing in this series is we're saying let's slow down and let's re-examine together. Let's refocus on the truth of who Jesus is. And so it only makes sense to me that through this series, we give you an opportunity, whether you're a Christian or, or whether you're, you're new to the faith, to say, why don't we re-examine together? We did it last week. We'll do it again this, uh, this morning. And um, 
I know that when we do that, when we give you the opportunity to place Jesus as your Lord and Savior, sometimes there's a decision that happens, right? Sometimes the Lord does something in your heart. I just want you to know that's not something where you should go, whoo, boy, glad I took care of that. I'm, I'm good now. I'm good to go. Those of us who've been following Jesus for a while, there's people in here who've been following longer than me. I think we'll all tell you the same thing, and that is that, is that this faith thing is a journey. And today, I want to be a better reflection of Jesus than I was yesterday. And, and we're still here, so we haven't arrived yet. We haven't seen perfection face-to-face yet. So we're all still growing in our Christ-likeness. We, we want to learn more today. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds today, all of us, all of us in this room. So if you're new to the faith journey, I just want you to know you shouldn't do it on your own. Like, none of us should. None of us are called to do it on our own. So what I want you to do is just take your bulletin, and on the inside cover, you're going to see a communication card. And on the inside of the communication card, it says today. Now, listen, if it was last week, it'll work if it was last week, too. Today, I made a decision to follow Jesus, or I'd like to know more about what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe you didn't make any kind of decision last week, but maybe it stirred in you that you have some questions. Like, I got some questions about faith, and, and maybe it would help me with my decision if I had some of those questions answered. We want to answer those questions with you. We want to help you on that faith journey. I think what you saw today with Nancy and and this morning in the first service with faith shows what happens when we continue that faith journey together, right? We continue those steps of faith. So please make sure you hand that to us. You can hand it to one of the ushers on the way out. You can turn it in at the next steps desk. You can hand it straight to me, but we want to make sure we continue the conversation with you. Let's go ahead and turn our Bibles, if you will. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, if you were here last week, you're already ready to roll. Like, you're ready, because I told you to put your bulletin right there, because we're coming back to the exact same spot. We're starting this week right where we left off last week. Last week, Peter made this great confession. He said, Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. And we talked about how I don't think he was really crystal clear in what that meant. Again, we will continue that today, that conversation. But I say that because he viewed Jesus as the rescuer, the Messiah, but not through the cross. And that brings me to the big idea today. The big idea is this, that the way you view the cross is the way you view eternity. The way you view the cross is the way you view eternity. There's really two different ways you can view the cross. We're going to talk about both of those today. There's two different ways you can view the cross. First would be to see the cross as folly. That'd be to look at the cross and say, yeah, I just don't, I don't get it, right? It doesn't make sense. It seems foolish. It, it, it seems unnecessary. Like, I just don't get the whole cross thing. And if that's where you're at, then that means you're rejecting God's way. Let's look at the Bible, Mark chapter 8. I'm going to start reading in verse 31. And the Word of God says this. It says, and he, meaning Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So don't forget this context. See, the context is that Jesus was walking along with the disciples, and as they're talking, Jesus says, So who do people, who do the crowds say that I am? And they're like, Well, some say John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you know you're just one of the prophets. As they're walking, Jesus says, Yeah, but 
But what about you? Who do you say that I am? And it's in that moment that Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the rescuer that we've been waiting for. But Jesus, starting at that moment, and really over the next two chapters, says, you say that, but you really don't see clearly. We need to clear up your vision just a little bit. You're not seeing things as clear as you should. I need to remove the blindness that you have in your life, and you may not even get it. That's why in verse 31, it says, look, your Bible says, he began to teach them. He began to teach them because they didn't know everything they needed to know at that point. And he calls himself, look, he calls himself the son of man. Do you see that? In your Bible, you can underline that if you'd like. If you take notes in your Bible, go ahead. And if you're on your app, you can still highlight it, son of man. And what I want you to write is I want you to write Daniel chapter 7 right there. Daniel chapter 7 because that's where that comes from is a vision in Daniel 7. But this is where Jesus teaches that the son of man will be rejected. By the religious leaders. He's going to be rejected. He teaches he's going to be killed. He teaches that he's going to rise again on the third day. You see that? He, he teaches all of that, which shattered the Jewish expectation of what the Messiah had come to do. You see, Peter was over here to the side thinking, I, I know what Jesus is. He's coming in power, he's coming in authority. That means he's the Messiah. The Messiah is the one who's going to come and rescue us, which means he's probably going to be a military leader. Like Caesar, he's going to come, he's going to whoop the Romans, and he's going to kick them out of Israel. Maybe, or maybe, maybe it's not going to be military. Maybe, maybe it'll be a political leader. He'll be like a good version of Herod. You know, maybe that's what he'll be. He'll be this political leader, and he's going to rise through the ranks, and everybody will recognize him as the Messiah, as the rescuer. Or, or maybe he's going to be a religious leader. He'll come with Torah in hand, and he's going to help align our ways with God's ways. You see, he didn't see Jesus as a suffering Messiah. He didn't see him through the cross. And that's why scripture says in verse 32 that Jesus said this plainly. You know, Jesus taught in a lot of different ways, didn't he? One of the things he would do is he would teach him parables. He would tell a story. And inevitably, what would happen is he'd have to explain the story. Because everybody's sitting around going, yeah, I don't think I get it. Like, now, who does Lazarus represent in this story? And the rich man? You know, they're, so they're, they would always try to figure out exactly what was going on in the parable. But it says right here that Jesus said this plainly. He wanted them to understand. He wanted them to be crystal clear on what he was saying. He wanted them to understand his life. He wanted them to understand his death and his resurrection. He went to lay it right out there, and Peter didn't like it. Doesn't that make sense? Like it makes sense to us why Peter wouldn't like it. It doesn't line up with his understanding of what the Messiah was coming to do. And so he doesn't, he doesn't just think it's a good idea to try to correct Jesus. He feels obligated to. Like, I, I have to because Jesus is a little bit off base right here. Which, I don't know, like you can't call him the Messiah and then say, yeah, so I think I should correct you. But it wasn't just correct, look at the word the Bible uses. It uses the word rebuke. Do you see that? Rebuke, I would circle that too. It comes from a Greek word that's normally used in the context of rebuking demons. So it's not just that Peter said, Jesus, I think we should talk about this. I don't really understand what you're saying. No, he's rebuking Jesus in a way that you would something that's evil. He's saying, Jesus, this is wrong. Jesus, this is twisted. I think you're off base. So there's some more rebuking about to go down. Like Jesus is going to bring a counter rebuke 
You know what Paul said? Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that the cross was foolishness to the Greeks. He says a stumbling block to the Jews. Think about that. He says foolishness to the Greeks, and the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews. Peter is the first one to get tripped up, isn't he? Peter's the first one to struggle. And I think from that day until this day, I think we've continued to get tripped up. I don't think a whole lot has changed. I think we continue on that path. So in verse 33, we see Jesus offer his own rebuke. He rebukes Peter back. And again, remember the context of what rebuke is. See, this is, this is harsh. It's pointed. It's intentional. It's where Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, you are not right now acting on behalf of the kingdom of God. Right now you're acting on behalf of demonic realms. You're trying, Peter, to tempt me in a way that knocks me off course from what I'm called to. You're trying to call me to something easy when that, that's not my calling. That's not my purpose as a suffering Messiah. The cross is where I'm headed. And so he tells him to get behind me. So Peter, Peter was off the mark, wasn't he? Peter was way, way off the mark. And I, I think you could look as a misunderstanding, but it was more than a misunderstanding. Misunderstandings happen, though, don't they? They happen today. They happen all the time. I read a story about misunderstanding Pretty sure this story's made up because I read it on Facebook. And uh, it's like when you read on Facebook that Abraham Lincoln said, you can trust everything on the internet. Like, you know, like, think about it. It'll hit you. So anyway, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's supposed to be a transcript. Again, I'm sure this is absolutely fake. So don't go back and say, oh my goodness, this is real. I don't, I don't think this is real. But it was a radio conversation released by the chief of naval operations the date was 10, 10, 95, and it says, I'm going to go into my ship voice. Here we go. Ready? The U.S. ship says, please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. And then the Canadians, which is where I'm like, this has to be made up. I can't imagine a lot of tension. But anyway, but the Canadians say, and I wish I could do a Canadian accent. Like I tried as I was working on the sermon, but I'm like, I sound ridiculous. When a Southern guy tries to sound like a Canadian, it just, it's a mess. So I'm just going to stick to the script. The Canadians say, we recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the South to avoid a collision. So the Americans say, this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, you divert your course. The Canadians say, no. I say again, you divert your course. The Americans say, this is the aircraft carrier, USS Lincoln. We are the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic Fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. That's one, five degrees north, or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. The Canadians say, this is a lighthouse. It's your call. Yeah. You almost expect it to say A at the end, but anyway. So <laughs> there's misunderstandings that happen, but I, I guess it kind of takes us to that point of how do, how do you view Jesus? How do, how do you view Jesus? Over the years, as I talk to people, there's a couple of themes that don't filter through the cross. Number one, I think there's a lot of people who say, I, I view Jesus as the person who wants me healthy, wealthy, and wise. He's like a, a cosmic philanthropist, 
right? You know, I rub the lamp, and, and Jesus gives me what I want. He wants me happy. That, that's, I, I believe Jesus wants me happy. So I'm going to take my prayers, and I'm going to put in that cosmic vending machine and pull the lever and hope that jackpot Jesus, that he just gives me what I want. You know, that's, I view him as jackpot Jesus. That's how I view Jesus. And I think that there's some, even in this room, and I know it doesn't sound good, like you don't like how that sounds, but if you're thinking Jesus exists to make you happy and give you everything you want and answer all the problems to life, then you don't really need the cross, do you? The cross doesn't have anything to do with that. You, you got this cosmic philanthropist that you hope acts on your behalf and does something great to make life easier. And the other view would be the view that says, well, I think Jesus is someone that lived a long time ago in history. He lived a long time ago in history, and he had a lot of great teachings. And so I, I live by the teachings of Jesus, and I try to be very moral, and I try to be a very good person. You view him like this, Ancient sage, almost, right? This wise man. But neither one of those, whether it's a jackpot Jesus or whether it's wise teacher, neither one of those do you really need the cross. And so if that's you this morning, I just want to be very real. And I don't want to sound like a grumpy pant preacher, but um, you bought into a lie. It's not the truth. It's not what the Bible teaches. And so I really, really hope that you slow down enough this morning to re-examine the truth and to look what the Bible says and to base your thoughts on God based on what the Bible says about who he is, not on what just feels good or sounds good. And that brings us to the second point. Like way number one to look at the cross would be to say it's folly. The other way is to say the cross is salvation. The cross is salvation. And when you really grab a hold of that truth, it means you reject your own way. Let's go back to the Bible. Mark chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 34 now and go to the first part of chapter 9. It says this. It says, In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can, man, what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. So again, Jesus, Jesus has been talking to Peter, one-on-one -on -one with Peter, but all of a sudden it's like Jesus called time out. Do you see that? Do you see the transition? Jesus almost calls time out. It's like he brings the disciples. Then he looks at the disciples. He's like, no, 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 that's not good enough. And then he brings the whole crowd. Look what the Bible says. It says, it says, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples. So he brings everybody in. He's getting ready to throw down more than a Portuguese eye doctor going, like, this is bigger than that. He's like, you, you think what it means to come after me means great crowds. Great crowds going, oh, well done, Jesus. We are so for that. That's so moral. That's so good. We are fans of what you're doing. Jesus doesn't call us to be fans. He calls us to be so much more. Do you see what he says? He says, if anyone will come after me, the true essence of following Jesus is about discipleship, isn't it? 
It is about a complete selflessness. And I just imagine this. Picture in your mind, this, this should take your breath away right here. Jesus, with just 12 disciples, changed the face of the planet. He changed the entire world. What could one church of 700 people do in a community? Think about that. Just 12, 12 ordinary men changed the face of the planet. What could one church of 700 people do right here in this community? And when I, when I say one church, I, I mean people. People who say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to love the Lord my God so much. I'm going to read his holy word and I'm going to do what it says. I'm going to read his word and then I'm going to do what it says. That means if the word calls me to forgive someone, I'm going to forgive them. I think you've heard me say this, but it's so true. People all the time will say, well, pastor, I mean, I have no problem with forgiving. I mean, I have a problem with that one person because they really wronged me. They did something so mean. And I, I think the answer is, well, yeah, if they didn't do something to you, you don't need to forgive them. That's how forgiveness works, right? They do something wrong and you have to let go of it. You have to trust the Lord with it and you have to forgive. What would happen? Just one church. This is we're going to be faithful with our time, with our talent, with our treasure. You have passions, don't you? You have things that God has put into you where when you think about those things, they fire you up and you know they're the things that fire up the heart of God. You've got passions for a reason. You have burdens. You have things that keep you up late at night. Maybe even through tears because you're saying, God, it shouldn't be that way. There are things that break your heart, that break the heart of God. What if we're faithful with our treasure, completely faithful with our treasure? What if we say, God, I'm gonna read your holy word and I'm gonna do what it says and I'm gonna love people, even the knuckleheads, right? Even the ornery ones. Maybe you've got that person, you know, that person in your family. You know, like, I love my family, but there's that one person, they're weird. You know, they're, whew, they're hard to love. Or maybe it's the neighbor, you know, the one that will park up in your yard sometimes. You're like, why, are, who does that? Who parks in my yard? Why, what are you doing? You know, even that person, their dog gets in your trash. That person. I mean, what if we selflessly loved like Christ? Husbands, wives. Oh, I'm not even going to talk to wives. I'm just going to talk to husbands for a second. Husbands, what if you loved your wife like Christ loved the church? What would that look like? What if you threw your life you washed her feet? What if we always say things like, well, I'd be willing to, to die for you? What, what if you just lived that way? What if you lived selflessly? What's the potential of one church who says, I'm gonna love God and love other people like Jesus? I'm all in. I'm selflessly gonna let go, but that's hard. And so Jesus, in verse 36 and 37, you're gonna see he asks a series of rhetorical questions to try to help drive this point home. He said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Because we like to live ourselves, don't we? My fame, my glory, my goals, my objectives. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? The way we see the cross is the way we see eternity. Jesus said it like this. He said, if you're gonna come after me, deny yourself. Start with it. We forget that, don't we? 
Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Every day we have to do this. Pick up your cross and follow me, he says. Now, I think this is, I think it's easy stuff to understand. I think it's challenging to live. It'd be like if there were two ways to invest, right? Two ways to invest. Option A, well, it's not going to cost you very much. You just have to invest just an itty bitty bit. It's not going to cost you very much. And you got to collect over years. Maybe one day you're going to collect huge dividends. It's like if when you're 150 years old, you can collect. Hey, that's option A. Option B, cost everything. Everything you've ever been, everything you are, everything you're ever going to be, it costs everything, your family, your treasure, all of it. It, it. it costs everything. But today, starting today, the dividends start. And it lasts all the way for eternity. So I think, I think we know the truth. I think the truth is easy to understand. But I think sometimes even those of us who are followers of Jesus, it's uh, easy to hit that misunderstanding and get knocked off, knocked off track, isn't it? To where we need to refocus. Because things happen in life. So we just, I don't know. It, what it reminds me of, I was, um, I was raised in a place called Inola, Oklahoma. At least that's where I graduated from. Inola, it's a real place. Inola, Oklahoma. It's called the hay capital of the world. Not like, hey, how y'all doing? But more like what horses and cows eat, right? Like hay. And um, so there are a lot of fields all around Inola, fields all over the place. I didn't live on a farm. I had buddies who had fields and cows and all that kind of stuff, but that, that wasn't me. I just had a big yard, like an acre and a half yard, which wasn't big. Everyone had a big yard, and so that's just the way it was. Um, I did have buddies like with tractors, you know, but not like Michigan tractors, but like yeehaw kind of tractors. They had those kind of tractors. Have you ever been, like, really, like, been inside of a real Michigan and I call it Michigan tractor because I had a friend on the west side of the state, and he had like lots of farmland, and so he let me sit in his tractor. I asked him if I could drive it because it's got like GPS and air conditioning and radio, and he was like, no, you can't drive my tractor. Like you can sit here and enjoy it. Now you need to get out of my tractor. And anyway, it's pretty cool. So if you have one of those tractors, if you'll let me drive it this summer, that'd be great. That'd be a lot of fun. I'd like to do that. So anyway, uh, I didn't have a tractor, but I had a riding lawnmower. And my riding lawnmower was like a real, it wasn't a tractor. It had turtle speed and it had rabbit speed. And if you have turtle and rabbit speed, it's a mower. It's not a tractor. And so anyway, it took me about two hours. took me about two hours to mow the lawn. And um, I get so distracted. Have, you've learned that about me, right? I really do. I get distracted. When I'm driving home, this is true. I'll tell my car GPS where I'm going. I'll have to tell it that I'm going home. So when Pastor Steve calls me to talk, he laughs and makes fun every time because he's like, Billy, you're just going home. Why do you need your GPS? I'm like, Steve, I'll get lost. Like, I will. I start thinking about things, and before I know it, I'm in Highland, you know, and that's bad. And so I'll just miss my house. Amy will tell you, like, I really, I'll be driving, and I'll just, Amy, where are we? She's like, we're still on the way to the grocery store. You're fine. Just keep going straight. Like, there's no turns required. Go straight. And, um, so anyway, it was the same back in high school, and I was mowing the lawn, and I would look over here, and they're playing football over there, you know, and I'm like, man, I want to play football, and then I'd be driving, I'm like, hey, there's some rabbits, you know, and I'm watching the rabbits go, and I would just mow, and one day my uncle walks out, he was missing, a, this isn't even important, I'm just going to share, he's missing a front tooth and had another gold tooth, he, were, he looked like a, like a gangster, like but he lived in Oklahoma. Anyway, so he came out and he was like, he was like, he was like, cut the mower off. And I cut the mower off and he just laughs at me. He's like, Billy, what are you doing? Like, I'm mowing, sir. What are you doing? 
And he's like, look, look what you did. And I look, and I'm like, it looks like a sidewinder bin in my yard. I'm like, the grass is mowed. Like, what's the problem? He just shook his head. He goes, no, you got to mow straight lines. No, I don't, it's an acre and a half. How am I supposed to mow a straight line? Here's what he said. He said, stop watching the football game. Like, it'll still be there when you're done. That's all you guys do. Like, it'll still be, leave the rabbits alone. Like, the rabbits will move. The twig, you can roll over a twig. You're not going to hurt the mower. If it's a branch, stop and move the branch. Don't run over that. But he goes, otherwise, what you do, you fix your eyes downrange. And you see that tree? He goes, look at that tree and drive straight to the tree. Don't look left and don't look right. Look straight for the tree. And I, um, I think he was talking about more than mowing. I think he was talking about life. I think sometimes we get distracted. I think, I think it's a conversation about faith is really what it is. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and the reality is for you, you place your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but things start to happen, don't they? Maybe someone got sick and you prayed and Jesus didn't heal the person and it got worse. And at that point, you stopped reading your Bible and you stopped praying and, and the lines of your life, they're all over the place. And maybe that financial thing happened, that thing where you'd look at me and say, yeah, well, Pastor, you don't get financially what's been going on in the lines of your life. They're all over the place. And maybe it's a relational thing and maybe it's a job thing. And I get it. I don't know what it is to be you. But our lines, isn't it true? Our lines, if we're careful, they get all over the place. Scripture tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Man, it's easy to get our focus messed up just a little bit. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me daily. That's what Jesus said. Follow me. He had to have a conversation with Peter because Peter didn't quite get it. I know we have a couple groups in this room. I, I know we have some of you that if you were to look at the lines of your life right now, you go, you know what? It hasn't always been this way, but right now I'm headed straight for Jesus and I know that. I'm in the word my prayer life is strong. My relationship, Pastor, right now, things are where they're supposed to be. If that's you, I just want you even right now, will you start praying for those around you? Because I know we have so many in this room that are in a different spot. So if you'll just start praying right now, because again, I know we have brothers and sisters in Christ. If this is you, be honest with your own heart right now. Is it all over the place? Because if it is, why not slam on the brakes today and just say, Lord, I need to refocus I need to look through the cross when I examine everything in my life because that's going to impact the way I view eternity. And Lord, sometimes I start to focus on my dreams and my desires and what I want instead of saying, I'm going to start with denying, listen, denying myself and picking up my cross. I'm going to start there. I'm going to end there. And I know there's a lot of stuff in the middle. Or maybe the reality is for you, you've never placed your faith in Jesus. It's not to say you're bad. Maybe you've tried to be good. Maybe you've tried to be a moral person. Maybe you tried to follow the teachings of Jesus. But my friends, that doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't save you. It's only through faith in Jesus. Maybe today's the day you need to get that right. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the day that you blessed us with. We thank you for a day where we can celebrate new life. 
where we can celebrate with Faith, where we can celebrate with Nancy. It is so good to be in your house this morning. Lord, I do pray for the brothers and the sisters in Christ who, when they look at their lives, it, it's a mess. They're all over the place. They're looking at games and they're looking at rabbits. And um, it's like a weeble wobble of a life right now. Lord, we want our focus to be on you. You are our rock. You are our salvation. You are the author and the perfecter of our, of our life. And we want to keep our eyes focused on you. So I just pray for a turning from all the distractions of life this morning. We want to be people who love you, who love you so much we do what your word says, where we love other people. We want to be faithful in that, God. We want to be a church who brings you honor and glory. And Lord, for the individuals in this room who have never, ever stopped, and maybe they've tried to follow the rules, and maybe they've prayed to you, but they've never stopped, I pray that right now is the moment where they're able to stop and say, God, I thank you for loving me. And I believe. I believe because I, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've missed the mark. I know I'm not perfect. But I believe you brought Jesus to this earth to do what I could not do. He lived a perfect and a sinless life. And Jesus, I believe that you were crucified. That you took the weight of the sins of the entire world on your shoulders when you were nailed to the cross. That you gave your life freely. No man took your life but you gave it freely. You died. But Jesus, I believe. I believe that on the third day, you conquered sin, you conquered death, and you rose again. And I am placing my faith and my hope and my trust in that truth this morning. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for making me free. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may stand, church.